Good evening again. You'll probably need some lights here because I'm not going to be able to see otherwise. So we're going to talk about uh, Esther tonight, yes? You ready to go to Persia? Did you bring your magic carpet? <laughs> yeah, no, we're going to... We're going to do Esther, but before I get into Esther, let me do a quick survey. Give me a show of hands if you've studied through Esther before. Ah, just what I thought, just what I thought. I didn't see any guy hands. Oh, Jake, Jake, you don't count. <laughs> That's the exact reason why I didn't, I didn't jump into it. I didn't jump into it. I got in, I studied, I just finished up studying through Daniel, and I said, Lord, what next? And uh, I heard cricket, 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 and my wife says, let's do Esther. And I'm like, okay, Lord, what am I studying next? <laughs> cricket, cricket, cricket. And then Sandra's like, let's do Esther. And I'm like, why would I do Esther? That's okay. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Notice how I slowed down there. And it's, uh, but I'm in, I'm in Esther. And I have to tell you, too, uh, if Doug and Leanne, when, if you ever get a chance to talk to them, we were camping this summer, and I was telling them about going through Esther. And uh, I threw a whole bunch of my ideas out about Esther and um, all of them are, are not good. Like Mordecai. Mordecai's a schemer, right? You know? And I had some, all these little, I had all these things. And what's interesting, because I, I got to, Doug's, uh, he's down in California right now. And, and I got to debrief him when he comes back because it's like, we we're going through all this stuff. And I said, this, 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 and this. And God's cleared all those things up. And so I feel much better coming back into Esther again. Um, so we're going to be in Esther 1 tonight. And I have to tell you, my day job is a high school teacher. And I'm going to actually incorporate some things that I do in my classroom in here. You guys okay with that? Yeah. Okay. Good. I'm going to teach you. I'm going to teach you how to write. <laughs> one thing about writing. Hopefully, you'll, you'll learn one thing from, about writing. Okay. So, um, some things about Esther. First, if we don't know who the author is, it's a, of Hebrew origin. We don't know who the author is. I, I'm guessing this is just Jim Crouch. This is not any kind of you know cool hat you know that I might wear, educated hat. But I think it's somebody around Mordecai because it just has a lot of inside information. Um, it's a chiasm. You guys know what a chiasm? I didn't know what a chiasm is. You guys know what a chiasm is? It's a, it's a uh, literature where um, it has two stories going at once, and like one group of people are going up, and the other group of people is going down, and then halfway through the story, the group that was going up goes down, and the group that was going down goes up. Did you follow? It's an X. Mm -hmm. Chiasm. And so that, it's literature basically switches at chapter 6, so the people who, you know, spoiler alert, the people who were winning are going to be losing after chapter 6, and the people who were losing prior to chapter 6 are going to be winning. So it's a chiasm. So it's kind of cool about it. Um, another thing, too, is God is not mentioned. And that was kind of, I'm going to tell you right honestly, that was one of my turnoffs I had about the book. I didn't like it. God's not mentioned. But here's one of the things God taught me. You know, what, you know, you know another book where God's not mentioned? You know that you're cheating. Song of Solomon. Song of Solomon. Okay, and so do we have this? Well, some people may have problems with Song of Solomon, but you know, you may not have a problem with it being in the Bible because it's a song, it's a love song, right? Right, and so that was another problem I had with Esther. God's not mentioned, but God even pointed out something to me. He says, Jim, oh, holy Jim, is God mentioned in your classroom? God's not, God's not allowed in public school, at least not, not allowed to speak. So, so how's that? So, yeah, God's not, God's not spoken. Um, 
So, uh, and it's kind of interesting too because um, um, the Jews are in a um, pleasure-loving, hostile world, yet they're favored by God. Does that sound familiar too? Kind of like today, right? And I have to, I have to apologize. The words on my paper got smaller for some reason, or my eyes got older, one of the two, since last I was up here. So I'm going to find myself probably referring to this. Okay, so here's, I told you I'm going to teach you something about, um, um, that I do in my classroom. Okay, I teach my kids how to write. You cannot write unless you know the context in which the, the event is happening. You can't do it. You, well, a good writer should bring the reader up to speed. Okay, we're, good, we're in Persia. How do we get to Persia? You can't just start in Persia and start plowing. you got to say, how do we get to Persia? Because it's part of the story. And so uh, the first thing I'm going to do is going to review, you, uh, review with you some, con- it's called contextualization, all right? So it's a big term. So you go home tonight and you say, I, I know how to contextualize, all right? Anyways, so um, <laughs> this is what happens when Rick goes away. We get the C team up here with, this, with the really bad jokes, what have you. So anyways, um, so first off, uh, we're going to go through Israel's history. The first thing you have to know uh, is that after Solomon, they get divided. Okay, they get divided. Um, you're going to have Judah in the south with two tribes. You're going to have Israel in the north with ten tribes. Okay, and so um, I went back and I reviewed why were they divided. And, 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 and here's the, the end run. They're going to end up in Persia, right? They're going into captivity. Why did they get in captivity? So the first... The first thing is they were divided after Solomon um, for uh, idolatry and disobedience. Idolatry and disobedience. Um, and so it's, it's uh, 1 Kings eleven thirty three. Because you have forsaken me and worship, and he lists all the, all the false gods. I'm not going to read them to you. Um, but basically you've forsaken me and worship false gods and have not walked in my ways to do what is right in my eyes and keep my statutes and my judgments. So disobedience um, and idolatry is what caused them to be, be divided, okay? So, um, and, and once, once again, this is another thing, too, for Esther. I love history. I'm a history teacher. That's what I teach. And so, um, we, we, when, as historians, we look at the Assyrians were the first great empire. And so, who takes the northern tribes? Assyria. Assyria. Yeah, and so, um, it, it, the, and what's interesting, too, is the, um, the reason why they're taken into captivity is because it's the only remedy. Okay, so they're idolatrous and they're following other uh, gods and they're disobedient. And so they're going to be taken into captivity because it's the only remedy. Okay, so when has being sent to your room sound like it's going to be a good idea? That's the only remedy? You've got to be sent to your room, you know? Or better yet, you've got to go sent somewhere else that's not even yours, your place. And so it's, that's the remedy. And I'm, I'm making light of it, but... Captivity was the only remedy for restoration. And that's in Second Chronicles. And it's an interesting thing here, too. Um, who's, who's leading this, uh, th- this charge? Because it's falling on the leaders. Listen to this. More, moreover, all the leaders and the priests and the peoples transgressed more and more. According to all the abominations of the nations and defiled the house of the Lord, which he had consecrated in Jerusalem, and the Lord God of, his, of their fathers sent warnings to them by his messengers rising up early and sending them because he had compassion on his people and his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord rose against his people till there was no remedy. And that's, that's kind of a heartbreaker there too 
because the people went astray because the leadership was leading them astray. And so that's kind of a a wake-up call um, for today, I think. So uh, uh, the the northern tribes are taken uh, captive by Assyria, and that's in 1 Chronicles 5.26. Basically, God stirred up the leader of Assyria and said, hey, go go get those guys, and he got them. Um, Assyria is going to later fall to to Babylon, which is assisted by the Medes. Um, Medes is, is, you guys know who the Medes are, by by the way? You do. Anybody else know who the Medes are? Those, are the, those two guys were like the kingpins, the Persians. We always hear the Persians, the Persians. But the, uh, the Medes were actually the, 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 the bigger players. Um, the Persians kind of married up with them and literally married up Cyrus, we're gonna, which we're going to talk about in a little bit. This is part of the contextualization. Cyrus actually, I think he's the, he's the, uh, the son of a, um, a Persian prince and a Mede princess. So the Medes were the big people on the block. And the Persians, even though we think of the Persians, it's because of Cyrus. Cyrus, uh, even though he marries marries the two together, he comes out and declares himself Persian because of his father. And so that's why we we come to the Persians. So the Medes had actually helped the Syrians. um, um, I'm sorry, the Assyria falls to Babylon, which is allied with the Medes. So the the Babylonians and and the Medes gang up and take the Syrians out. Okay, and then we're almost there. We're almost, we're almost fully into captivity. We got Assyria and the northern ten tribes are gone. Um, and then um, Judah, the south, is taken captive uh, into Babylon. And that's in Daniel. And so Daniel uh, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, in the third year of the reign, um, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered the king of Judah into his hand, along with some of the articles of the temple. And they're carried off to his land. All right? So... Um, Babylon is later going to fall to uh, Cyrus um, and, and Cyrus the Great. And so here's where we end up happening. We have all 12 tribes under Persian domination. The Persian Empire, whether you, believe, whether you know it or not, goes from India all the way to the Mediterranean. These guys got a huge block of land. And so um, we now have all 12 tribes under Persian uh, um, kingdom under their authority. And so that's where, that's, so that's how we, that's the contextualization we got into we. It's not we. That's how the Israel got into captivity. Uh, it was through disobedience. It was through idolatry. It was through their leadership leading them astray, and they ended up there. Okay? So you have um, a little more contextualization here. You've got two prophets going on at that last, that last thing where they're going to Babylon. You've got um, Daniel and Jeremiah. Those are two prophets that are speaking at that time. Daniel's speaking from Babylon, and Jeremiah's speaking from, from Israel. And so, um, now we'll, we'll, we'll kind of we'll keep, keep in the contextualization, but, um, and I'm, I'm sorry for all the history, because usually I know with my kids, when I start talking history stories, they're like, okay, what are you trying to teach us today? Are we trying, can we get to the, the main theme? And so, bear with me here. A little more captivity, and we're there. So um, Jewish history under Persia, um, Cyrus the Great, which is, which is Xerxes' grandpa, the guy that, who's going to be the story in Esther, that his grandpa is Cyrus the Great. Um, he is going to actually, when he takes over Persia, he's going to um, uh, allow folks to go back to rebuild the temple. Okay? And so here's another, another issue I had with Esther that the Lord, had, the Lord kind of straightened me out on was, okay, 
why didn't everybody go back at that point? All right? Because I'm going to read you a section here where Cyrus says, hey, you can go back. I want you to, uh, I got, the Lord has told me to rebuild the temple. That's what he, I'm going to, the section we read here, he's, he's going to say, why didn't everybody go back? And I held that against, I held that against Esther, or not against Esther, but against the book. But we're, we'll get into it here in a second here. What, what happened if they went back? Would they be outside, would they be, would they be outside the Persian Empire? Makes no difference whether they went back or not. But that, I held that against him too. But anyways, here's what he says. Ezra 1, first three verses. Now in the first year Cyrus, king of Persia, that the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah might be filled, the Lord stirred up the spirit of Cyrus, king of Persia, so that he made a proclamation throughout all his kingdom. And remember, he owns that whole big piece of property. And also put it in writing, saying, Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, all the kingdoms of the earth, the Lord God of heaven has given me, and he has commanded me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah, who is among, okay, then he goes on, who is among you of all his people? May his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and build the house of the Lord of Israel. He is God, which is in Jerusalem. So he's given permission for to go back. Go back and build your temple, all right? And so I, I left you there hanging with the question, why didn't they go back? I know why they went back, didn't go back. Um, so keep in mind, by the time Esther, Esther, the book of Esther is this temple, the temple has been rebuilt for 30 years. It's been standing for 30 years, okay? So what are they still doing there? They're still there because God told them to, to go there and get comfortable. You know that? Jeremiah, and this is one of those verses I read tonight. Um, God, God told them, go get comfortable. You're going into captivity, go get comfortable. Um, Jeremiah 29, four through 10, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all who are carried away, whom I have caused to be carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. First thing, build houses and dwell in them. Plant gardens and eat their fruit. Take wives and begot sons and daughters and takes wives for your sons and give your daughters to husbands so that they may bear sons and daughters that you may be increased there and not diminished and seek the peace of that city where I have caused you to be carried away and pray, pray to the Lord for it. For it's the peace, for in its peace you will have peace. And then skip down to verse 10. It says, For thus says the Lord, after seven years are completed Babylon, I will visit you and perform my good word toward you and cause you to return to this place. And so they're going um, to, they're, they got, God told them, hey guys, you're going to be, which is kind of interesting for Jeremiah. Um, he's back in Israel and he's got this word saying, okay, you're being carried into captivity Make, make yourself at home and pray for where you're, where you're at. And it's kind of an interesting, it's an interesting message that he gives. And so, I'm, once again, I'm, I'm laying my faults on the line, and I apologize for all my, my false assumptions. I, I held that against the Jews for staying there. Why did they stay there? Why didn't they leave Persia? But God told them to go get comfortable there. And they didn't have to leave. And if, had, if they had have left, what's the big deal? They're still in Persian Empire and, and with the story, as the story goes along with Esther and, um, and some things rise up, um, they've really got no place to run. They've really got no place to run. Their, their back is against the wall. Anyways, and God does visit, oh, that, that Jeremiah, that's, um, if you go to the last, last three chapters in Daniel, chapters 10, 11, and 12, Daniel is visited. And I, I was talking to Rick about this. I, I think it's, it's Jesus that visits him. In, in chapters 10 and 11, 12, because the description that Daniel gives, and then you go look in Revelation, the description that John gives about Jesus, and you like go like, 
It's Jesus. And so he visits him. And, and, and what's interesting, he visits him in Susa. Okay, Susa is where Esther's going to take place. It's going to take place. In, and Daniel wasn't in Susa, but he was visited in a vision in Susa. And he's in Babylon. Okay, if I lost you, you have to go back and review chapter 10. Sorry about that. Um, so um, now fast forward. I'm still in contextualization. I'm still building the picture of, of, of the captivity. Um, after Esther, um, the place is still in the shambles. Uh, Esther takes place, the, the gentleman, uh, Ahasuerus, um, the Greeks call him Xerxes, and you'll hear me, I kind of go back and forth between Ahasuerus and Xerxes, because my history brain says Xerxes, and the Bible brain says Ahasuerus, okay, King Ahasuerus. So um, he, he is, Xerxes is replaced by Artaxerxes, that's his son. Well, his son is going to um, commission um, Nehemiah to go build the walls. So here's another reason for them not to go home, all right? The place is the wilderness. You know, um, I, there are certain things that, in life that are interesting, like YouTube. I digress for one second here. Give me a minute. YouTube, if you watch a certain genre, okay, like there's, do you know they have like whole movies on YouTube now? And then once you watch a movie, and I've been watching a bunch of Westerns lately, either World War II or Westerns. I'm watching one of the two. And they keep, they keep like giving me more movies to watch, more Westerns to watch. And I'm like, and so I'm, I'm kind of like, in my mind, I can paint a real good picture of the frontier and people going around scalping people and what have you. Israel's in that state during Xerxes' time. Nehemiah is actually going to be sent back to build a wall. Okay? And so that's in, um, this, that's in Nehemiah, Nehemiah 1, uh, verses 2 and 4. And then Haniah, one of my brethren, came from the men of Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped, who had survived the captivity, and concerning Jerusalem. And they said to me, the survivors who are left from the captivity of the province are there in great distress and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. So is that a, I mean, would you take your family, and I'm speaking to you, you know, there's moms and dads here, there's grandmas and grandpas, would you take your family, okay, you're in Persia, you're in Susa, okay, God said get comfortable, you're comfortable, um, you could go back if you want to, but here's the report, is anybody here going to take their family, going to take their little ones back there? I'm not. So that was another reason why God's like, okay, so you want them to go back, do you, Jim? Do you really want to go back? Because look at the state it was in. But then here's me, cynical me, because Nehemiah goes back. Does anybody remember how many days it took to rebuild the wall? 52, 52 days. So I'm like, well, why didn't you go back? It's only 52, 52 days worth of work. So I, I went back and forth. I go back and forth. But anyways, that's the contextualization. So now we understand why they're in captivity and why they're still there. So far, so good? Okay. You ready for verse 1? All right. We're just going to go verse by verse. We're going to like chew a little bit on them. And so you'll actually know when I'm getting close to the end because if I'm getting close to the end in the, in the verses, I'm close to the end. Make sense? All right, here we go. Verse 1. Now it came, in, came to pass in the days of Ahasuerus. Um, this was Ahasuerus who reigned over 127 providences from India to Ethiopia and I would add to the Mediterranean as well. And in those days when King Ahasuerus sat on the throne of his kingdom, which was in Shushan, the, the citadel. Okay, so this is um, Ahasuerus, just being Ahasuerus, just being the king that he is, Xerxes being the king that he is, is a fulfillment of prophecy. 
from Daniel. Daniel 11. Remember that visit I told you about? The visitor, Jesus. Um, Daniel 11, too, talks about how this fulfillment is. And you're going to see this kind of, this, this Daniel 11, too, that I'm going to read to you, kind of jumps in and out of chapter 1 like four times. I mean, I could go back and reference it again and go back and reference it again. But you'll, you'll hear what I'm talking about here. Behold, three more kings will rise in Persia, and the fourth, that Xerxes, um, shall be far richer than them all. By his strength, through his riches, he shall stir them up against the realm. So if I had to ask you one thing about Xerxes right now, what would you say? He's rich, right? Okay, wait till you hear about these banquets. Wait till you hear about these banquets. All right, so, so this is Xerxes. Um, the Greeks named him Xerxes. I think it means mighty man or something like that. And so that's the other thing, too. In studying as, okay, if I put my history teacher hat on right now, I could say all these great things about Xerxes prior to reading Esther and studying Esther. Oh, he was a great guy, great guy. Yeah, he was a heathen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's a great guy. He did all these following things. We're going to find out this guy here, he's pleasure-driven, big time. He's, mm, how do you say this? He, he always leans on his advisors. He just leans on his advisors. Um, I, 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 what, what should I do? And they say, do something stupid. Okay. You know, and he's like, yeah, what? We're going to see this as we go through Esther. You're going to see Xerxes just do whatever his advisors. And that's, okay, remember I told you chapter 6? Remember how it, it switches? Guess who becomes his advisor in chapter 6? Mordecai. And so, once again, he's, he's just, he, whatever his advisors tell him. Okay, so anyways, but he's rich. The guy's rich. He's, he's rich. Um, so, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're in Shushan. That's uh, Susa. Um, that's the Greek name for it. That's the administrative capital, capital of Persia. So, uh, verse 3. Um, then in the third year of his reign, he made a feast for all his officials and servants, um, the powers of Persia and Media, the nobles and the princes and the providences being before him, uh, when he showed the riches of his glorious kingdom and the splendor of his excellent majesty for many days, 180 days in all. This guy had a six-month party. Can you imagine that? A six-month party. Holy macaroni. Uh, first thing I want to point out is there, it says there, in the third year of his reign. I, uh, we call that in history a time stamp. He put a there's a time stamp in chapter 1. This is third, reign, third year reign. You're going to see in chapter 4, there's going to be another time stamp that means four years have passed. And then there's going to be another time stamp in chapter 3, which will be another five years have passed. So you'll, there's gaps. In the first three chapters, there's huge uh, year gaps. Not huge, but, you know, three, uh, four years and five years. Okay. And so these, um, these are, are, are planning conferences. This is a big, big huge planning conference. It's a six-month planning conference. This, remember I told you that Daniel 11, 2, his riches. Um, matter of fact, it says, it says uh, um, by his strength through his riches, he shall stir them up against the realm of Greece. That's what's going on in this six-month party. And I used to, um, uh, when I was in the Navy, before I was a teacher, I was in the Navy, and uh, when I, we were stationed in Italy for three years, and my job was planning exercises for NATO and later Partnership for Peace. Uh, and so, and that was my job. I traveled all around Europe. It was the greatest job, yes? Uh, for three years, that's all we did, is travel around and plan exercises. So I'm familiar with planning military exercises. And we would typically, you, you have three planning conferences and they're each at least a week. So that's three weeks for uh, maybe about a four-day exercise. 
three weeks for a four-day exercise. And so this guy's going to go invade Greece. So he's got everybody there. They're having, he's going to woo them, convince them, show them he's got the money to do this and plan it out. And so that's what this party is. It's a six-month party. But it's, it's really a six-month um, planning activity. We don't, have, we, don't have, we don't get a whole lot of details about it. But the, the Hebrew word used there for feast, and I'm going to tell you there's three feasts in chapter 1. The same word for all three is a drinking feast. This is a party. Okay, yes, there's planning going on. But once again, I'll tell you this. When I was doing exercises for NATO, um, a lot of those things were drinking exercises. or I mean, drinking feasts. You know what I mean. So um, let's go on to verse 5. And when these days were completed, the king made a feast lasting seven days. So this is feast number two. For all the people who were present in Shishan the citadel, from great to small, in the court of the garden of the king's palace, there were white and blue linen curtains fastened with cords and fine linen and purple on silver rods and marble pillars. And the couches were of gold and silver on a mosaic pavement of alabaster, turquoise, and white and black marble. Uh, and they serve drinks in golden vessels, each vessel being different from the other, with royal wine in abundance, according to the generosity of the king, in accordance with the law, uh, the drinking was not compulsory. And for so the king had ordered all the officers of his household that they should do according to each man's pleasure. Okay, so this is, this is uh, party number two. It's only a week long. The, the party number two and party three are, are a week long, only a week long. And they're, I think they're, they're, uh, they're overlapping one another. Okay, and so this is in um, uh, the garden of the king's palace, all right? And so it's, once again, it's, uh, and it's the citadel. Uh, and so uh, Susa had a fortified city, and within the fortified city um, was the palace. And so um, this is, I was kind of, I was laughing when I was reading it. I was, all I could think of is, I don't know if you ever, you've heard of the D.C. as being the swamp. This was a swamp party. Okay, everybody from the swamp was invited in, um, but it's in the citadel, the fortified city. This isn't, you know, um, Joe the camel driver outside the gates. He's not coming in. It's just the people who live in the citadel. He's got this party going on, all right? Um, the, 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 the wine stoppers and what have you, you know, those are kind of cool. But for me, um, the thing that, okay, it, and it just mentions these marble pillars, Okay, these marble pillars, let me, okay, I'm going to put my history hat back on because I, I, this stuff I find absolutely fascinating. Uh, if you ever get a chance to go to the Louvre, we, I used to take uh, high schoolers to, the, to Europe every three years, and then it got too expensive. We don't do it anymore. But one of the times we were there, we're in the Louvre. is the first time I was in the Louvre, and, um, I, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm taking kids there, so i got to be the responsible one and meet. Okay, if I say meet at the front door at 5, I have to be there at least 4.30, 415, right? So that they can find me and start gathering there. So I get there. I'm at the front door waiting for them. And uh, one of the first students comes up and says, Mr. Krauss, did you see the basement? Oh, that was so cool. And I'm like, there's a basement? I don't know if you guys know the Louvre is, but it's, it's, it's King Louvre. I won't tell you what it is. But anyways, it's in France and it's a museum. And I didn't know this. There's a basement. He says, oh, yeah, you got to go see the basement. Where is it? Where is it? Over there, go that stairs and go down. Okay. And so I said, you just, you stay here. You collect everybody. I'm going. And I ran through this basement. But one of the, all the, they have all this stuff down there from the Persians and the Babylonians and the Egyptians that they don't have in the rest of the stuff. And it's down in the basement. And one of the things they have is 
this, the, for this courtyard, they have the tops of the pillars. Okay, these pillars are 70, they're marble pillars, 70 feet tall. I don't know the dimensions. What's that ceiling? Anybody know what that is? How many feet is that? 35? Okay, so double that. Okay, so you already like looking up going, holy cow, that's high. Now, on top of these pillars, that's what's down the bottom of the Louvre. And, you, and you, if, you, if you get a chance tonight, Google um, Persian pillar top monuments, something like that. And you'll come up and you'll go, holy macaroni. Anyways, so I went down and I saw these things. And I, just, I, I just sat there and stared at it. That's so cool. Because, okay, let me, I'll do my best to describe it for you. Okay, the first thing it has, and this, these are sitting on top of these 70-foot pillars. Um, it's got like a foo-foo-y kind of like, you know, I don't know what you want to call that thing. <laughs> you with me? Kind of a foo-foo-y thing. And that sits about this high. This is real life. Okay? On top of the foo-foo-y thing are these two bullheads, and they're looking opposite directions. Okay? And okay, let me, I don't, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if this is going to work out right, but their horns are facing the opposite ways like that, right? There's two bullheads. The bullheads, okay, so the, the little foofy thing is about ends here. Take that same size and go up a little higher, and that's the size of the bullheads, okay? And their two horns go out like this because they're holding onto what I would say like a eight foot by eight foot pillar, and that's what they held up. That's what the ceiling of this palace where this party's at. This place is rich. This guy is rich. I mean, it's impressive. Impressive, impressive history. Sorry, I went off on my history thing there, but that's there. And they're, they're, um, this, is, this is where this um, seven-day feast. Um, and there's no, there's no business being conducted. This is, I think this is quite honest prestige and patriotism. And um, Sandra and I, we, 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 we are retired from the Navy, so we've been to enough balls, Navy balls, and they're okay. So, oh, some are actually kind of bad. But we went to a couple of Canadian balls, military balls. Wow. You walk away from there. I mean, I'm not even Canadian, but uh, you walk away there with just pride. It's like, wow, that was cool. They made you feel good about being in the military. They made you feel good about, you know, what, what, what we're called to do and the sacrifices we make. And, and I think this party was kind of like that. Um, there, was, there was a little bit of that going on. Um, but there is a part that kind of bothers me here. That very last sentence in verse 8. Um, this is the instruction they're given. Do according to each man's pleasure. Do according to each man's pleasure. You know, I have a problem with that because it lacks a standard of what's right and what's wrong. <clears throat> you with me? There's no standard. And a standard is basically a measuring point. We can measure from, from here on up is good, from here on down is bad, right? We have a standard. It's, there's no standard. This party is no standard. And I kind of I ran into that this, this week. I, had a, I don't know if anybody's done this, but you jumped into a social media feed and you said something you, and it blew up. Nobody's ever had that, right, except me? <clears throat> well, as, as, a, as a policy, I don't, I, on Facebook, I will not allow any of, my past, or any of my present students to be my friend. I won't. And then even sometimes, and so what, but once they get, they graduate and stuff, some will contact me. They'll say, hey, you know, can I be your friend? And I'll like, I'll talk to the wife. I'm like, this person. But sometimes they do. And so I had this young lady. Um, she, was my, she was my student. She was later my TA. Really nice young lady. So she, she puts on a, um, a cartoon on her Facebook for the Texas Heartbeat Law. You guys familiar with that? Okay. And it's got a, the cartoon is 
um, a guy with a mask and a lady who's pregnant. And, um, and they're saying the guy with the mask has the right not to wear a mask. The lady who's pregnant doesn't have the right to be pregnant. And these are young people. These are people in their 20s. And they start going down the, the thing. And all I did is I piped in and I said, who's going to speak up for the unborn's rights? That's all I said. Blew it wide open. I think we were, last I looked, there was like 37 replies. I stayed with it for a little bit. And I tried to keep, and I even introduced, I even introduced Psalm 139. Have you guys read Psalm 139? Okay, I'll read it to you. Uh, verse 13 through 16. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in your mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed, and in your book they are, they are all writ were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet they were, were none of them. And I talked, to, I talked to them because they wanted to know why did I believe what I believed. And I said, well, this is what I, why I believe what I believe. And, um, and it just there was this continual barrage of people saying, well, I am this, I am this particular belief faith, and it's okay with me. God's okay with that. God says love everyone. God is love and all this stuff. And, and it just, uh, it, it actually made me very sad because there is no standard of right and wrong um, outside the body of Christ, I think, today. We've kind of, we're, we're almost like at this, with this party here where there is no right and wrong. Each man does according to his pleasure, as we're going to see the king does. And so, it's kind of a sad, sad place to be. Verse 9. Queen Vashti also made a feast for the women in the royal palace, which belonged to King Ahasuerus. Okay, so this is feast number three, and the party keeps getting smaller. Okay, because first it was the whole, all the planners from all around the kingdom. Then there was just the people in the fortified city. Now it's just the ladies of the court. So this is a very small party, okay? Um, and I had a question, too. Why do a ladies-only only party? Okay. Ladies, why do an only, why, you guys know that it's going to cause problems, right? You got to know that. If you read Esther, that's cause, going to cause problems. The ladies only party. And so I'm thinking, okay, in my mind, I'm thinking, this makes total sense. The king are getting really crazy and raunchy. Ladies, let's go over here. Let's have our own little party. But here's the thing. The same word is used in this feast for all the other two feasts. What did I say the word feast was? Drinking. A drinking feast. So the queen parties. She's partying just like everybody else. So, so she's not, she's not, um, I don't think she's, the guy's got too crazy. I don't think so. But it does cause um, some suspicion to creep in. And I think it feeds the times. And I'll, I'll back that up here in a second. So, um, yeah, because I don't think there's a political agenda being done here. I think this, but it's going to cause a political repercussion. Verse 10. On the seventh day, when the heart of the king was merry with wine, he commanded uh, Mahuman, Bistha, Harbona, uh, Bigtha. I'm going I'm to mess these names up. I'm going to tell you this. Okay, I'm a teacher. I'm a high school teacher. Every first day of school, I hate it. <laughs> I hate it because I say the names and they go, Mr. Crouch, that's not how you say my name. And I'm, okay, sorry. Let me write that out. But anyways, so here's these guys. Uh, uh, I'm going to struggle through them again. Bigtha, uh, Abagtha. Zethar and uh, Karkas, seven eunuchs who served in the presence of the king, Ahasuerus, to bring Queen Vashti before the king, wearing her royal crown in order to show her beauty. 
to the people and the officials, for she was beautiful to behold. But Queen Vashti refused to come at the king's command um, brought by his eunuchs. Um, therefore, the king was furious and his anger burned within him. Okay? So we know about him. He's rich, right? He likes pleasure. And we're also going to find out he's got an anger problem. Stay tuned. Next week, we're going to do Esther 2. And I'm going to start off next week talking about anger. Okay? So stay tuned. If you've got an anger problem, if you've got an anger problem, come on in next week. We're going to talk about anger. All right, so seven days and seven eunuchs. Okay, this is the seventh day. The king's pretty toasted. He sends his halflings to go fetch the queen. Um, and if you don't know what a, anyways, what a eunuch is, it might make sense. Never mind. I told you this is a C team. You got C team jokes. And I don't have any puns either. Sorry. So, um, so the, she says no to a bad idea. You know, appearing a bunch of, in front of a bunch of drunks, she says not going to do it. Um, now, one of the things that's kind of cool here, uh, if you go to verse 11 there, in order to show her beauty, um, for she was beautiful to behold. Guess what Vashti means? Beautiful. beautiful. So this, this is a knockout. This lady's a knockout. And you have to understand, the guy owns, remember all that property we just talked about? If he can have anybody in the realm who he wants, do you think he's going to, you know, settle for Miss Piggy? <laughs> no, he's going for Vashti, okay? He's going for Vashti. Sorry, that's probably crossed the line somewhere there. Um, okay, so here's the thing, too. It's part of the reason why miserably yoked. We're going to talk about miserably yoked tonight. And so she finds herself miserably yoked to him, or maybe he finds himself miserably yoked to her. Make sense? Um, and I'm going to give you, and I'm speaking to the young men here, the young unmarried men, probably don't have very many of you, but I'm going to give you three things to look for in a wife because you don't look at the wrapper, okay? Don't look at the wrapper. Yes, the wrapper's nice to look at, but here's the three things that you need um, to not be miserably yoked. Yeah, I'll be all right here. First thing's a heart. You need a heart that you have to look at, um, and, 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 and that's what's in this verse here too. God doesn't look at the outside. He doesn't look at the wrapper. He looks right here. Okay, First um, Samuel sixteen seven. The Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So when you're looking for that future spouse, look at the heart. What are the things that drive them? What is, you know, what does their character say about them? What do they? What makes their heart beat faster, and what doesn't make their heart beat at all? And are the things that make their heart beat faster? Um, when they're looking at the Lord and pointed in his direction or when they're looking away. All right? That's the first thing to look at. Second thing, too, is, is fearing the Lord. It's the second thing for a wife that you need to look for to not be miserably yoked, and that's Proverbs 31, 30. Um, Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, um, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Fear the Lord. And then the last one, too. I thought this last one, I think... Well, this almost sounds like it's anti-cultural today. Okay, you guys, I don't, know if you, I don't know if you guys remember this or not, but I'm a history teacher, so I teach U.S. history too. Um, the 60s, okay, and the 70s, the women's movement. Do you guys remember Helen Reddy? I am woman, hear me roar. Do you remember that? I'm not going to sing it for you. Don't worry. But it's, it was the women's movement was all about, you know, just 
you know, getting up front and, and making and pushing through. We're gonna we're gonna this I am woman, hear me roar, Helen Reddy. Don't I don't want you to YouTube that, but but that that kind of like is a mantra for that era. Well, that is contrary to what you look for in a young lady. And I'm sorry if I'm singled out the uh, married guys, but um, it just fits here with, with Vashti. Uh, a quiet and gentle spirit, that's what you want. First Peter 3, verses 3 and 4. Do not let your adornment be merely outward arranging the hair, wearing gold, or putting on fine apparel. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart, that's that heart issue we talked about, with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is very precious in the sight of the Lord. All right? So that's, that's some things to not be miserably yoked. On to verse 13. Then the king said to the wise men who understood the times, for this was the king's manner towards all who knew law and justice, those closest to him being, okay, here we go with the names, Keshena, Shethar, Admatha, Tarshish, Marys, Marsena, and Memakan, the seven princes of Persia and Media, who had um, access to the king's presence and who ranked uh, highest in, in the kingdom. What shall we do to Queen Vashti according to the law? Because she did not obey the command of the king, Ahasuerus brought to her by the eunuchs. Okay, so these are the five wise guys. Remember what I told you about Xerxes or Ahasuerus, whoever you want to call him? Who does he lean on for, for what to do? His advisors. He's got these seven wise guys. Well, there's an interesting word there, okay, or a phrase, who understood the times. In verse 13, these are, these are uh, wise men who understood the times. Okay, the understanding of the times refers to the bigger picture, almost the astrological time. So they're not just people who are aware of the times. They're looking big picture. Okay, so these guys, they're not going to make decisions that will get you in this moment ahead. They're looking at decisions over the big picture. That this, is, this problem with Vashti, I think, they think it's a problem for their time that they need to address. And, um, and I'll, I'll, like I said, I'll back that up in a second. Um, and they had presence or they had access to the king. Um, the, we're going to find out, too, later on with, with, with uh, the queen. The queen doesn't even have guaranteed access to the king, but his advisors do. Um, and so these guys, his, his advisors here have it. Um, and so my, my thinking, that's part of the reason why I came up with that title, too, is I have a feeling that back then there were a lot of miserably yoked husbands. And there were a lot of women who were miserably miserable because they were miserably yoked. Does that make sense? So these guys here, they're, they're, they, they don't have to do this. They already know. Of course, they probably go home to it every night, and it's like, oh, okay. And then, oh, by the way, the, the Vashti's doing this to the king. Okay. Um, but the, and there's, they kind of also kind of, um, they just, the queen had, had violated a cultural norm, but there's nothing in the law. And they're, they're like, what do we do? According to the law, we don't have a law. What do we do? So these guys have got to come up with a law. All right, and so we're going to see what their, what their solution is here in a second. Verse 16. And Memekon answered before the king and princes, Queen Vashti has not only wronged the king, but also all of the princes. See, that's that bigger picture coming into play here. And all the people who are in the province of King Ahasuerus, for the queen's behavior 
um, will become known to all women so that they will despise their husbands in their eyes when they report King Ahasuerus commanded Queen Vashti to be brought in before him. Uh, and she did not come. This very day, the noble ladies in Persian media will say to all the king's officials that they have heard of the behavior of the queen. Thus, there will be excessive contempt and wrath. Um, if it pleases the king, let a royal decree go out from him and let it be recorded in the laws of the Persians and the Medes so that it will, be a not, so that it will not be altered, that Vashti shall come no more before the king of Hazareth and let the king give her royal position to another who is better than she. When the king's decree, which he uh, will make, is proclaimed throughout all this empire, for it is great, all wives will honor their husbands, both great and small. And so I think that's, um, you know, this is their solution, you know, to Vashti. She doesn't get to, um, uh, you know, was it, how does it say, do not pass go, do not collect $200? She's like right to jail. You know, she doesn't go to jail. I'm, I'm not saying that, but she's, she's lost her job, okay? And so... Um, so, so the solution that they come up with here is, is mandated. There's a mandate that husband is the boss, okay? And so I, I stopped, and I was like, okay, let's stop here and look at the way it should go. And so if anybody's, um, I think this is like a good, it probably gets used a lot for, for weddings. If Ephesians 5, that section on marriage, probably a lot. We're going to go over that tonight because we're going to talk about, because this is their their idea of how a marriage should run. I'm going to give you God's idea how a marriage should run so that you're not miserably yoked. Make sense? Okay. Um, it's Ephesians 5.22. So here's what I want you to do. As I'm reading these, I want you to think of the verbs. Okay? Think of the verbs. So you might have, you might have to go there. Ephesians 5. I'm going to do verses 22 through 28. And, and okay, it's okay to write in your Bible too. I don't know if anybody ever told you that. Like in class, I'll tell my students, you can't write in your textbook, but you can write in your Bible. I want you to circle the verbs, okay? And you'll probably come up with more than me, but I, I came up with five, five verbs. And so you see how many you get. Everybody ready? You got your pencil? It's okay to write in your Bible, trust me. You can ask Rick. All right, here we go. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as also Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives um, be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, uh, that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. So husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. Just as the Lord does the church, for we are members of his body, for his, of his flesh and of his bones. For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. This is a, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ the church. Nevertheless, let each one of you, particularly, so love his own wife as himself, and let the, let the wife see that she respects her husband. Okay. So you probably, you know, I was looking at that. There's more verbs there. But I was thinking about verbs that the husband's got to do. There's three verbs that the husband's got to do, and there's two verbs that the wife has to do. Three and two. The guy's got more. So let's, let's do the wives first, because that's always more fun, right? 
<laughs> okay. Submit to your husband. Verb number one, submit to your husband, okay? Um, so this is yielding your authority, yielding your authority to his, all right? And oh, by the way, we have a rule in our house too. There's no I told you so's when it doesn't work out. Does that make sense? You yield authority to your husband, submit to your husband. You yield authority to him, and no I told you so's. Because, guys, we, we, all, we all know we make mistakes, right? Okay? Um, and the second one that I have for the ladies is respect your husband. And that, and that word for respect there means basically you're going to take um, his feelings um, and, and actually put his feelings either equal to or maybe even higher than yours. You will, you know, how he feels about certain issues, you will, you will kind of harmonize with that. Okay? And so those are the two verbs for ladies that, that are for wives I want to, I want to hit on. Um, anybody know what's, mi- what's, what's missing in a marriage that the wife's not, it doesn't say the wife has to do? Love. I know, Sandra and I had the greatest conversation on this. She says, but it says, what are the older women supposed to do to the younger women? What's that? Train them to what? Love their husbands. Isn't that interesting? So my older ladies, I'm speaking to you. You're supposed to teach the younger. So that means you must be doing it though, right? But you don't have to be told. That's what Sandra says. I don't have to be told to love you. So that was kind of nice. It felt, made me feel really good. But I, I would think that, you know, it's interesting. It's men are, what, what you already saw one of the verbs that, that husbands are supposed to do are what? Love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's that sacrificial love. So we're, we're reminded to love our wives, but wives are not reminded to love their husbands. I thought that was kind of interesting. Maybe that's just me. Okay, so, um, yeah, that was Titus uh, verses 2, 3, and 4, where the older women are supposed to teach the younger women to love, to love their husbands. Uh, also to love their children, which I think is interesting too. Anyways, I digress. So the husband, uh, you're supposed to love your wife. That's the first thing you do, sacrificially. Um, you're supposed to cherish your wife. And that has to deal with how do you treat her. Do you treat her tenderly? I had to learn that when we first got married. Because this is in the Navy, you know, and you, you know, you, hey, how you doing today? Boom, you know, you're with your buddy or something. You punch him. I'd come home and I'd like hit Sandra in the shoulder. Ah, I'm a girl. You know, and it's like, cherish her. Treat her gently, you know. And so that's, that's the cherish. Um, and then the nourish one. Nourish is an interesting verb as well. Nourish means you basically are creating an environment where she can grow spiritually, mentally, physically, emotionally, we can keep going with all the you-know-whats. You're supposed to nourish her, give her a safe environment to, that she can grow. Okay, so that's, that's how to be... Um, see, what's the opposite of miserably yoked? Joyfully yoked. There we go. That's how to be joyfully yoked. Okay, so I'm almost done. Verse 21. And the reply pleased the king and the princes, and the king did according to the word of Memachon. And he sent letters to all the king's providences, to each providence in its own script, and to every people in their own language, that each man should be master in his own house and speak in the language of their own people. Okay, so once again, pleasure. So the the result of his advisors pleased him. Um, And each man should be master in his own house. Okay. So we, we all agree that um, it's not God's de- design for the man to be the master of the house. Yes, we agree? 
We, I didn't read that to you in Ephesians. I didn't say, and each man shall be the master in his house. Because I wrote this down here. Wife's submission is different from husband's domination. Wife's submission is different from husband's domination. Okay? Um, and so the, the thing, and this is where I'm going to end with, too. Are you going to do another song or are we good? Okay. So um, this is where I'm going to end with is, is the go back to that verse in, Eph- in Ephesians because that is the, that's, that, the marriage is a mirror of Jesus' relationship with us, right? Okay? And so, um, so I wrote some things, about, some, some comments about that, and this is what I want to end with, because, because it, to me, the marriage is all about us and Jesus. Um, and so with, with, as a marriage, you choose to enter into it of your own free will, Yes? That covenant you enter into of your own free will. Nobody forced you, hopefully, to marry that person. Hopefully it wasn't a shotgun wedding. Okay? Of your own free choosing, you entered into that marriage covenant. Same with us in Christ. We enter into that covenant of our own free choosing. You don't say, my mom and dad, they were both Christians, so therefore I'm I'm in that covenant too because, uh, you know, or I'm a good... You know, fill it in. Lutheran, Catholic, Episcopalian, whatever. Uh, therefore, I'm in the marriage covenant. You have to enter into the marriage covenant with Christ. Okay? You have to, uh, of your own free will. Um, you're not forced. Uh, you're not forced into a covenant with him. It's of your own free choosing. Um, and Jesus, and, this, and then we go back to those, those, those verbs. Jesus loves us unconditionally. Once we enter into that marriage covenant, he... he loves us unconditionally. He cherishes us and he nourishes us. He puts us in that safe place to, to where we can grow. And the thing too is sometimes you go like, you know, um, these guys are in captivity. How can they grow in captivity? But did you, did you the, the verse I read at the beginning, I have a plan for you, okay? God creates a nourishing environment for exactly what he wants to grow in us. And sometimes things happen, and you go, well, that's not very nourishing. But he will cherish, he will tenderly walk you through those things. And it's, 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 sometimes you replay, you replay some of those events in your mind, you know. Let me get some water. Water will help, right? Um, as you know, our son is walked through cancer, uh, and and uh, and and the, he's he got a, a clean bill the other day, but he's got a he's got a type of cancer that's vicious, and they're told him it's coming back. Just every three months, come see us, um, and it's been, um, you know, how do you say that is nourishing and cherishing? Because the cool part is, he never leaves us or forsakes us. So in those times, whether we're in captivity in Persia, or whether we're walking through with our child, or he's walking through with his wife or his family, cancer, um, it, God is with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He loves you uh, uh, unconditionally. And, and so... Um, in our part, back to, back to the whole marriage thing, it's our part sub, to submit to his lordship. That's our part, you know, as, 
as Christians, we submit um, and we respect his will and his word. Does that make sense? Okay. So, um, so that's the, I'm going to leave you with tonight. What is the state of your yoke? What are you yoked with? You guys can come up now if you want to. Are you, are you, you know, what is in your marriage? How are you yoked? In your job, how are you yoked? Um, look, at, look at the yokes that you're in um, and examine those things. And, and um, I'm not saying, um, I'm, all I'm saying is, is surrender to the Lord in these things and he'll walk you through them. Make sense? I'm going to close this. Um, should I close this in prayer or do they do that? I pray? Okay, I'll close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for um, Esther 1 today, Father. As we just kind of set the table for what you're about to do in Persia. Boy, it's going to be cool. And so, Father, we, um, we thank you for the covenant um, that you allow us to enter into. Father, I thank you for just um, you know, the plan you have for us. And that you, the things that sometimes we, don't, we can't make sense of, we can trust in you and lean on you and you shall bring it to pass. And so, Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for, for all the things you're doing. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.